There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Fancy sponsoring the Battle Fever Network? Fancy having your business, company logo, or our social media graphics, and your details being read out on our shows? Well, now you can. Get in touch with us on any of our social media platforms or email us at battlefeverpod at outlook.com. That's battlefeverpod at outlook.com. Hashtag keep the battle fever on. This show is brought to you by the Battle Fever Network. If you haven't already, then please follow us on all social media platforms. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and TikTok. Just search the Battle Fever podcast. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and never miss a pod again. Hit that subscribe button and you're in. If you don't, We'll send policies round to your door for a talking to. And trust me, you don't want that. You can talk for days. It is safer, really, just to subscribe. is beautiful. It's deep in history. And I know what I'll find when the place comes alive. I got that battle. When I was a young boy, my father said to me, put this scarf around your neck and sing the blues with me. And now I am much older, there's a place I want to be. It's red faucet, it's beautiful, it's steeped in history. And I know what I'll find when the place comes alive. I got that battle fever coming over me. And I got butterflies and hurricanes shaking my body. Battle fever. 
Hi folks and welcome to the Battle Fever Network. Uh, we're starting a new series today um, based on total football coaching and managing, uh, management, we're calling it. Um, a wee insight into the, the coaches and the managers of the game, influences obviously in former players etc that's led to them becoming coaches and, and managers. But before we get to that, just want to give you a shout out to our sponsors G4 Claims, uh, Mediaprint EK and FF Apparel. I'm delighted to say that joining me uh, today is former Rangers, Sheffield Wednesday, Wolves, Millwall, Aberdeen, Murrow, Livy, and a lot of teams I probably can't pronounce his name. Um, former player, Morris Ross. Also 13 caps for Scotland, by the way, which I didn't realise. That's 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 crying. Um, I, I must have played for Scotland's nice, but um, it's not something I can put in here. Time spending any time thinking about it. It was nice at the time, but yeah, it's in the uh, past kind of thing. Better play for Rangers anyway, mate. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> obviously, Morris Ross joining us today. How are we, mate? How, how's things? I'm good. Um, and then obviously in the, in the midst of the preseason, um, probably the most strange preseason I've I've been involved in. Um, getting rid of over twenty players. Um, from the squad, uh, full, uh, the full new staff coming in as well, signed seventeen new players. So it's been a it's been a massive turnaround. It's uh, but it's uh, something that I believe the club needed. Um, the financials of the club have changed um, to the negative. Um, so yeah, we have basically, I basically tried to change the way before we would sign maybe players that had good careers. And we're coming into the last year or two. And I think if you do that, then it's just, you're basically building a wall and then kicking it down at the end of the year, every single year. So we have taken younger boys that have maybe fallen out of academies, um, paying them just above minimum wage, I would imagine, and giving them a safe environment that they can learn and, and become better football players. And that's not just talking about no, tactical stuff. That's I'm also touching on their diet. I'm also touching on how fit they need to be, um, and obviously they get the, the tactical stuff as well. Um, but also, I'm quite big on the fact that they've got to be able to trust that they're not going to be shouted at if they make a you know an execution mistake. So yeah. it's and and by the way, that's harder than you think. It's human nature when they make a bad pass, they automatically go into that kind of fight or flight mode where they get nervous. Um, and it has an impact on their game, but it's detrimental to their game, if you ask me. It's, it's nice to have kind of personal pride and you want to do everything well, but it's unrealistic to do everything well. Yeah. So it's about allowing. So, for instance, if you think about it, a holding midfielder, typically you want him to keep the ball and play fairly simple, right? But if I've got a right winger, without realising it, he's got to think differently for a six because he's got to be okay with getting the ball away six, seven times because what he's trying is so extreme and so difficult. He's got to be okay with that. So that's about retraining his mind because you hear coaches, 10-year-old, 15-year-old, 17-year-old, keep the ball. Why would you tell a winger who's there to go and win a match for you to keep the ball? Now, if he's trying flicks and tricks, different story, but if he's getting 1v1 with someone and the defender cuts it out six times, but he goes by him the four time, four times out of ten. That's four entries into your box. That's got to be encouraged. So it's about 
taking what they've kind of been taught before and, and try to reprogram their mind to think it's okay to give the ball away if you're trying the right thing. Um, Ryan Kent said, wasn't it? Ryan Kent said that he might have the ball six times and, and go at a defender six times and he might lose it five out of the six, but that one mm-hmm. he'll get by, create a goal, create a chance, or score a goal himself. And I suppose that's the kind of that's what you're talking about there. You've got to be able, you've got to allow him the freedom to do that. Exactly. Because if you if you start hampering on, what's he gonna do? He's gonna take a touch, he's gonna pop it back to the six. Yeah. Now nobody's winning. Now nobody's taking responsibility. Yeah. So it's about recognising it and, and I well, reprogramming them. That's what I would say. It's not about a big whole, whole operation, but it's about tweaking their minds and how they think about it. Yeah, yeah. We, we did say we we're going to start. I said I was going to split this up into two parts and go back to like your influence. Who, who influenced you the most as a coach? Who who was kind of the person that are the group of people that maybe shaped your your views and your philosophy? And I don't like that word, but philosophy as a manager. Um, going back obviously at Rangers, you would have worked under Dick Advocate, Alex McLeish. Also, you'd have been there when Walter Smith was there, and you know, as a, I suppose, Bomber Brown as well would have been a huge influence mm-hmm. in your career. Um, what, what was it like, kind of, you know, working under managers like that, and, and specifically getting at the difference from when Walter left? Given that I know you were a youth player, but from when Walter left, Advocate came in. You've talked about diet. You've talked about you know changing and everything about the training ground. Obviously, the training ground being built. Um, and then anti Alex McLeish, what was the kind of main changes? The level of player. So if you think about it, we had the nine in a row period where that group had been together for years, where we sprinkle on a Brian Loud or we sprinkle on a Gaza. But the you know, the main eight, nine yeah. players were there. But that was aging. That was coming to an end. So yeah. where was the next group? I think that's where we kind of arguably failed at, at that point. Yeah. Dick Abacat came in, massive influx of money, phenomenal world-class players who'd been used as the players they had then. So the focus went from the nine in a row bubble bursting, or the ten in a row bubble bursting, Dick Abacat coming in, new influx of player. The whole thing was focused on discipline. Because he had world-class players, what's he going to tell Giovanni? How to get half turned and play forward. Gee knows that. He's been doing it all his life. Um, so that was just a, a whole new discipline thing. Now I'm talking extreme discipline, like no finding somebody if they were had the wrong socks on or whatever, but just all he had to do was keep everybody in line because they knew the quality was there. Yeah. There was one situation, and I don't know if this was designed to upset the nine in a row gang um or the, you know the, the the kind of remnants of the nine in a row era that it's a new regime now he brought ian Felix. we were going there ain't the first time we're going to florida for pre-season and ian ferguson was holidaying in florida with his family the manager made him fly back get into rangers training gear or the, the, the dress with the team and then fly back out to go and train forward so you can argue that's him being a bit, I'm the gaffer, I'll decide what happens. You know, the tail's not going to wag the dog. So you, uh, there may be being a bit of that, but it just shows you, oh, everybody in the building went, oh, oh. Then uh, yeah. Charlie Miller got letters to their house to say, you're changing in their way dressing room. So it was, just a, it was just a different regime. And when you walked in the building, you just knew straight away, oh, this is different. 
Did you have much? Did you have much interaction with Advocate at that time as a kind of youth player? Would he take a lot of? Because obviously the Dutch side and the academy side and that's huge. So mm. would he take a kind of hands-on approach with that, and would it be visible? Well, I was, I was his boy. I had to do his kit and his boots and everything. <laughs> Must have been mad. <laughs> I was a bag of nerves when I my work. Because you never knew if he was in a good mood or a bad mood, because you were just on it. That was it. That's all you got. <laughs> you know, like before, it would Archie Knox and, and, and the late Walter Smith. Well, Morris, how you doing? How's your ma doing? And, you know, how's Dundee? Because obviously they've got a big connection with Dundee. We've been at Dundee United. So they, was, they had that affiliation with them. They were, they were so nice with that. Um, so it was a bit more like a family then. It was more business like when, when the Cavacat came in. Um, and then when Waters and when Art McLeish came in, Art McLeish then tried to take it back to more of a, the more softer family, yeah. small club, you know, that kind of feel rather than the big institution feeling. He, he liked that kind of family side to it. Yeah. You then kind of establish yourself as a first-team first player. And I want to know, early on, was your mind thinking about coaching? Were you taking in, like, taking in kind of wee tidbits from... Advocate from McLeish. How how early on was it in your career that you thought that's the thing that I want to do? I want to get in management and coaching. No, I, I never ever thought that. However, like all through the ranks, like being a kid and into the youth teams, and that, I was always kind of the, the captain and whatnot. Anyway, so when you look back at it, I mean, you don't think you want to be a coach or a manager. You're just yeah. stressed. You want to play in the Rangers team that you're at at that level. If it's 18s, it's 21s, it's first team. You just want to be in the team. You don't think as a manager. However, looking back. I was always kind of coaching and, and had to be that guy that listened to the detail for the managers because I wasn't your classic, technically, you know, good footballer like a Barry Ferguson or a Bob Malcolm was. So I had to be switched on to the detail, yeah. switch on to the, the nuances that make you influence football matches. So that was always my focus, just listen to what they're doing, do what they tell you. And obviously, if you've got a, an ability to, to retain information, then it helps you. Yeah. What was the difference when you moved down south in terms of your your, your management uh, or, or the way your managers interacted with you and the attention to detail, obviously diet and stuff like that as well? Would you say going down south, it was kind of further ahead than us? Given the fact I know we're a, a huge club, but would you say it was further ahead than us or kind of at the same level? No. When when I went to Wales, I had Hoddle, Glenn Hoddle. He was phenomenal. So he was like... Listen, it's Glenn Hoddle, when he walks in a room, if he walked into an auditorium the day, people would look at Glenn Hoddle. So he's got that natural aura, but he doesn't ram it down your throat. So he's, he was the manager and he knew he was a big hitter. But he was like your your uncle. You know the way when your uncle yeah. comes in the house, he's, he's got that feel where you, you didn't feel like it's your dad coming uh, in. Oh, there's my dad. You know, uh, it, it was that kind of approach. And I, I really liked his, his approach. His attention to detail was very good as well. Um, where I think I've learned from him in, in a sense of what not to do is he thought everybody was going hollow. So uh, he would he would he would look at players and go, "How could you not pick that pass out?" And I'm going, "I wouldn't have, <laughs> I wouldn't have been able to pick it." Out. <laughs> you know, in the training, it was like fifty hours at the time. I'm going, "How can he even manage that?" <laughs> um, so listen, you learn a lot for people. And I don't know, every day, every day walk away. So he he was he was he was great. He was a nice nice man. But I don't expect people to have the same ability as you. 
what you think about yeah. it. Now, where I think coaching needs to be harnessed and in, it's the three seconds before you receive the ball. The two seconds before you receive the ball. What thoughts are going through your head then? Because if they're not right, then you're never getting on the ball. You hear it all the time, oh, he, that midfielder makes so much space for himself and that line. He wasn't just dropped out of a helicopter into that space. He's looked at three or four points of reference to see, oh, where should I move now? I did a, I did a thing with my, my B license case many years ago. Um, and it was some task where it says, like, you know, what, what do you stand for as a coach? And I said, well, it's thought process for me, train of thought. Um, so if you think about it, everybody sees Gerard getting half turned right and hitting a 70 yard switch in that Liverpool team. But if he's not moved into the right area at the right time, at the right speed, the right body shape, you know, to then get turned to play that pass, everybody in the stadium sees the pass. But if his thoughts were wrong or they were to another area of the pitch, moving himself, he might not go on that bottom of that pass. Yeah. So what yeah. I'm trying to say to my players is, I can't control your execution of your pass. However, I can move you into areas of the pitch that you can influence the match without using maybe a 70 metre pass. Because you see players all the time, they always run towards the ball. Always run towards the ball. And I'm trying to tell them, stop running towards the ball. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, it's, it's like you say, and I've said a million times in the podcast, right? See when you're watching a game on the telly, it's obviously the COVID thing we weren't allowed in. And you're watching games on the telly, and I don't feel as though you get a true reflection for that reason alone. But you mm. see when you're at the game, you can see a player's movement. You can see, I mean, I don't know how many times I've watched the Rangers team and somebody's maybe said, like, in the Monday, whatever, I wasn't really in the game. That the big striker was signed or whatever. Wasn't really in the game, was he? I've said, no, but see the moves he was making. See when they, see when they start to find him. See when, see when he's, he's, he's wingers or he's midfielders, whatever it might be, defenders, mm. wingbacks, whatever. Start to find him when he passes. Then you'll see that. Then you'll see that that coming. You don't see that in the telly, and that's I think an important point that you've just made there because it is in the lead up to when you receive the ball. Because Barry Ferguson was constantly—I don't know how he done it—played with his head up like Gaza. You never seen Fergie really look down at the ball a lot, and you see a lot of players running the heads down. Fergie's got the head up, and Fergie Fergie probably had to pass away before it was even even to him. Ah, that so I suppose you can't teach. Well, you can teach part of it, but you can't teach execution. You can't teach execution, so why should I worry about execution? Aye. So might me as a coach, or as, as a manager, whatever you want to call me, I'd say I'm a teacher rather than a manager or a coach, I'm a teacher. Why would I worry about something in the moment that I can't control? But what I can control is the thoughts that he should be thinking by gaining repetition every day. Yeah. And it's not about making the player feel bad, it's saying, why are you doing that? If you can tell me why you're doing it when it's good, great. Because when you when you stop and ask a player why are you doing that, they always think it's negative. People always speculate to the negative. But I'm saying, why did you do that? And if it's, and if it, if it was right, he said, well, that happened and that happened. I said, perfect, great. At least you can uh, tell me why you done it and you never stumbled upon it. Uh, so now, if you get that in your head, you can then repeat that. Uh, um, uh, so yeah, it's uh, with a, with a kind of hanging on to it too much that's kind of how I like to set my sessions up and, and have my players thinking Would you have managers that would that would kind of stop training midway or, or if you played a, a bad pass or if, if something didn't work would you have managers that would stop and like maybe no gear balling but along the lines you know like kind of dent the confidence rather than try to fix maybe where it went wrong 
Well, I mean, Hoddle done it once. The, the, so the ball got switched out to me. I was on the halfway line, kind of promoted slightly. So it got switched to the opposite centre back to me. And I like to try and, you know, like take it on the, so no standing receiver. You're kind of moving on to it. And the speed you're going at, the ball then moves at that same speed with you. And it skipped over my foot, right? So for me, if he stopped me and said, I think in that situation you're better taking it static rather than at full speed, then I get that. But you, but you just come up and went, Rossi, you went, that should never happen in your football career again. Oof, that was it. Uh, so, there's no management there, there's no teaching there, as you say. No, it's such. No, it's uh, such. It's just making a point and say, what the fuck? Oh, excuse me. Uh, and, no, 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 I'll see you can swear, it's fine. Um, I didn't mean to. Um, but, yeah, so I, I try to avoid that. So it's like anything negative that happened to me as a player from a management point of view. I've tried to no have that approach to players. Yeah, yeah. So I always think there's got to be a positive thing to what you're saying to players. Now, even if that's pointing out their the body shape or whatever, it's still ultimately a positive if their mindset's open. If they've got a negative disposition and think that I'm just picking on it, then that's in them. But I try to deliver it in a way, in a manner that the, the player thinks, he's trying to help me here. Yeah. Moving abroad as a player, Norway, Faroe Islands, like I said, Turkey as well. What what was the difference like there? What was the coaching style like there? Would you, would it be, would you be like, you know, that's that's a culture shock to me? Or was it kind of a European approach you were used to anyway? Norway was good. I had a great coach at Norway, Uwe uh, Rosler. Um, he was tactically very good. Very, very good. Turkey, hopeless. China, hopeless. Um, I mean, I, I remember I was, do you know, like sometimes when you, you, you go into a room and you go, I can't believe what I'm seeing here. Like, I can't believe this is accepted. It was that stark and bonkers for me to monitor what was happening in the training, right? So I remember one time I get called up to the manager's office, who, by the way, was the owner's pal, used to be the janitor at the club. So they had a Korean coach, listen to this, a Korean coach, who was by all accounts tactically brilliant. There were three, there were two games of the season to go. They sacked him two seasons ago, put the Jani in charge. He wins the league. Now he's like Alex Ferguson. <laughs> right? So <laughs> he, he comes up and, he, and he's honestly, he was this this cute wee Chinese man and he was, but you smoked the fags a lot. Eh? So he had like that kind of, you know what, how a smoker looks. And he, he yeah. honestly, he must have been 80. He must have been. <laughs> And he's pulling me up, but I've got a translator. And he's he's asking me questions about shape and tactics and whatnot. And I'm going, this is weird. But I could see, mate, they've been watching videos that FIFA printed out, like defending in 4-4-2, attacking in 4-4-2. They've learned it off a video. And I'm like, oh my, this is nuts. This is nuts. So I, I was just like, I just keep my mouth shut and just take this office. Honestly, it's like stars in your eyes, you know, oh, they're smoking, they're thinking, this is... Shouldn't be in here, right? <laughs> but, um, ah, but listen, again, you learn as much by the negative situation going, I would never do that. Never have that kind of approach. Listen, it was a spell where I think Rangers picked managers like that as well, just in the banter years of your like, where it was kind of, you're standing going, what are we doing here? Why are we accepting this? Do you know what I mean? And then, thankfully, that's changed. No, well, it was called banter years, was it? It, it was the banter years, I That was, that was um, Pedro Cachini, I say no more. Um, but for for yourself, 
that obviously moving abroad, that's kind of give you your start in management as well because it was Norway and that where you got your your start. Did you try and implement a British approach, your approach, uh, in, in terms of what you'd learned, or how? When, well, f- first of all, actually, before you go into approaches, how does it come about that that an owner comes and asks you to take, or a chairman comes and asks you to take um, the manager's role or a head coach's role, or whatever it might might be called? It's always through someone or being in the building or the Johnny. It's always that. So. Because I'd, I'd finished football, I started studying Nigerian, so I, I would still go and watch local football games. So I wouldn't go, I'd watch Viking Stavanger, of course, the big team. But then I would go and watch other wee teams, third, fourth division teams, because they're on your doorstep. And then the CEO came up and just says, uh, we've just been relegated, you fancy taking us on. And that was it. Went in two weeks later, had four players, and then just went around and got the, all the young, hungry players Basically, what I've just done at County. Um and then you get the double promotions, and you finish fifth in the in the, the, league, the league above, which has not been done in the, the Cubs' history. So, no, even if it's it's no glamorous, and it's still an achievement because you've got no budgets, you've got plenty of players' expenses. This is what I'm doing now. Yeah. So, I don't think there's a right or wrong way of doing it. I just think, if in doubt, if you're going to do it, date your own way. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. what I say. Just go and date your own way. See that level would would a CEO or whoever it might be kind of try and figure out like because you, you you hear these like Klopp Liverpool I know it's mega levels up right but Klopp Liverpool Guardiola Man City you hear about this philosophy and this this is the way we play and then a club will say well we want to play this way so I'm going to try and get a coach that identifies with the way we play at Rangers I've always identified Rangers with winning right and there's been times when we've played some excellent football and won. For instance, under Gerard when we won the won fifty five, some of the football was absolutely breathtaking. There's been times under Walter Smith, the, the, the late great Walter Smith, who's for me the greatest ever Rangers manager, right? Given my lifetime born in the nineties, etc. But under Walter, we didn't always play swashbuckling, fantastic football. It was very much horses for courses, and it was very much we just win and that's it. There's no there's no philosophy to it. You hear it Celtic at Tommy Burns that when he was in charge, it was all about how the way they played. The only one, one trophy, you know, I would rather have my team, my, my team that I support winning things week in, week out, winning games, winning titles, going far in Europe as we have done. Gio had to alter his tactics a wee bit, given the personnel we were missing to get to a European final, which was a fantastic achievement. Is there a CEO, even at that level, is there a CEO that comes to you and says, listen, this is how I want to play football, this is how I want my team to play, and I'm bringing you in to do that, or is it just carte blanche, you're in control of the football side? Well, end of the day, what how you play is what the players you've got. Yeah, simple as that. So, can you imagine a CEO come to me and saying, "I want my team to play this way," and you've got four players? I said, "Well, <laughs> how's that working?" So, this whole thing of clubs have an identity and all that, uh, it's uh, it all sounds good in theory, yeah. oh. um, because you can go and try to recruit the best players possible, and they don't want to come to you. I mean, the amount of phone calls I've had uh, in the last six weeks with players who didn't want to come to the loan league, yeah. getting paid less than what I can maybe pay them to be associated with the league too. So there's there's so I, I think recruit, recruit, your recruitment strategy. So you can if you how you recruit, right, is you need to reverse engineer it. What do I want my football team to look like? Well, reverse engineer it, and then 
here's how you go about it, okay? So it's a, it's a proactive thing. How well you do in that process is sometimes not in your control. So I might want a Brian Loudrop and I want to pay him two million quid a year, but if Brian Loudrop wants to go to Watford instead of Rangers at that time, then you've not got a, a Rangers legend anymore. Uh, so it, it can be as, as, as fine as that. Um, I think when you've got traditional clubs like your Rangers or Celtics or Liverpools, all these clubs, yeah, they've always been identified or synonymous with them. Um, but it's not just as easy as that, is it? I mean, how quick do you want it? Everybody wants it yesterday. But if if, if Rangers were not as forward-thinking, as patient with Gerard, then Celtic would be sitting here with 10 in a row. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's patience. Is the process is day-to-day right? Yeah. Are we moving forward? Yeah. Are we getting better? Yeah. Stick with it. Yeah. Yeah. I I, sorry, on you go. On you go. I think that, just what you said there, the patience, the process, I think that is is just kind of sums up Gerard's time at Rangers, isn't it? Because we were getting better. I think that's why the fans were quite easy with it and saying, do you know what? Just stick with it. I know we've not won anything, but we're making progress year on year. And I think that's how, you know, just what you've said there, how much is that? Obviously, it's huge for a manager in terms of keeping your job, but to actually have belief you know, in yourself, the owners have belief in you, the fans have belief in you, it must give yourself that wee bit of, you know, because Gerard was a winner as well, so it must give that kind of wee buzz about it. I think at that point, there was grumblings though. There yeah, were grumblings. Yeah. But it's, this is where football's mental. So, in every other industry, right, think about it. You employ intelligent, educated people to run their firms, to run their law firms, to run their accountancy firms. The public didn't get to determine how you run your company. Yes. But because we are we are we are a working class sport and we depend on you know players um, supporters coming to the club, etc., that emotional attachment they've got to the football club, you sometimes get caught up in that and you end up making decisions based on public opinion, basically. Yeah. Well, if you're in that position at Ibrox, you've got to be big enough and strong enough to know that this is going the right direction. And that's what happened. You can see inside because people people are known in, the, in their sanctum, they kind of see what's happening day to day. How are they training? What are they like? Are they doing everything they can? Are they profession- Is the professionalism right? Is the recruitment right? Yeah, it all get judged on a Saturday at the end of the day, but I just feel that it's a tough one for, for boards and for chairmen to be that headstrong to say, no, this is what we're doing. Aye, aye. When when you were abroad, <clears throat> was it hard to convince players? Yeah, it doesn't matter the nationality, but obviously you said that was it, this was Sol AFK, wasn't it? They just been they just been relegated and you took over. Was mm. it hard to convince players to join to join your kind of your revolution, if you like, at that club before you moved on, or was it relatively easy still? Even though because you were there for two years, I think so. How three. hard was that? Three was it three? How hard was mm. that to, to attract players? Um, well, nobody wants to play in the fourth division, do they? So what do you do then? You go and get younger ones that want to play. Mm. And I would rather go with somebody that was slightly less talented and, and cheaper that was was going to buy into it. And see, see it like anything. You're selling them a story. So even you're doing a tactical session with a, tra- with a team and you're playing against somebody that's a better team than you, you need to sell them a story. 
this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to trap them. This is how we're going to break off them. You're selling it all the time. So when I said to, so when I was bringing boys in, I just looked around the club and said, okay, teams at second, third and fourth division in Norway are training twice a week. Bang, you're training four times a week. So straight away, these boys are thinking, oh, this is professional. Mm. Now, mate, it was, it was fourth division. I had a floodlit pitch that was a bowling green. I had two training pitches that were floodlit and I had eight dressing rooms and I was playing with Adidas balls and flying at games. That's better than you. It's a brilliant setup, right? So, so what I was saying to the players is, you might be a fourth division player, but you're not going to be. Now, I think three of that team that we had there are now playing in, in Europe and in the Premier League in, uh, in Norway. Because they bought and they wanted to be better. They wanted to train properly. And that's what we've done. We provided them an environment that replicated them being a professional footballer. Even though they were at their work at five o'clock, company me at six, still four times a week. So they're in their heads, they're still training like a professional football player. Uh, and it worked. And see, just what you said there, we're having like three people, uh, three players uh, playing mm. in Europe or a professional uh, top league in Norway and stuff. Mm. How much how much personal pride does a manager or a coach take in that? Because I was listening to Open Goal with Derek McInnes, and Derek McInnes rained off a lot of the players who've left Aberdeen or St Johnston, however it was he was managing mm. at the time, Bristol City, and how many of them now are playing at a higher level. So Ryan Jack, Tom's sake, right? Then mm. you go down south, you've got Kenny McLean, you know, all these different guys that have... Mm. How much personal pride? Because a lot of people will see McInnes's time at Aberdeen, for instance, as one trophy, right? But McInnes sees it as, I one trophy, but he had to rebuild every year and then look at the players that moved on for a profit or mm. they, they bettered themselves and they're now a better football player. So how much pride do you take that personally? Um. I always think it's where you, where, they, where you get the player, at what point. So if I've got that boy at 17, 18 in the fourth division and he ends up playing Tippeliga or in the Bundesliga, then, yeah, I'm really proud of that. If I've signed, so now I'm at Dundee United and I've signed our boy facing Johnson and he then bounces on to an Aberdeen, it's much of a muchness. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So it's, the, it's I, I look at how much the gap the boys progressed. Um, but yeah, no, Derek, Derek did a great job uh, up Aberdeen. Um, I don't think anybody would deny that. Um, but for me, it's the day-to-day interaction for me. See, when you see a player, it just twigs, just gets it. I love that moment. That moment is what I do this for. And yeah, you want to win football matches, of course you do. But I just love seeing players getting better, right? Just love it. And I miss the day-to-day. I miss full-time football. I miss getting up at six and being in my work for half seven and turning the lights on. Just being in the building. I just love being in football stadiums. I just so would you, be, would you be the first one in and last one out at that full-time stage, either as a player, as a coach, as a manager, whatever role it might have been? Yeah, when I was at Motherwell, well, it was hard to get in a, a four Stephen Robinson because he's neurotic. He was... <laughs> I think we ended up starting in this competition who can get in first. Um, <laughs> But no, but that just comes from being happy at your work and loving your your profession. Eh? Mm-hmm. Um, but then on the flip side, you know, three years later, I'm like, can I just maybe delay going in here? You know, because mm-hmm. the environment changes. So I always think environment's everything. So for coaches, for players, as a manager, you've got to kind of set that environment. When you're a player, you're a kind of you try and implement what. what what the staff are wanting for you. 
Um, but you've also got to be a good energy giver. You've got to be a good pro. You've got to be a good teammate. And I say to my players all the time, see first and foremost, see before you think about being a good football player, be a good person, be a good trainer, be a good teammate. Mm-hmm. Because I'm telling you, that's half the battle. Mm-hmm. That, in my opinion. You train the way you play, they say, aren't it? So if you're getting 100% and training to the, to the best of your ability, when you cross the white line, don't get me wrong, professional pride comes in anyway, but when you cross the white line on a Saturday or a Sunday, that you like to replicate at least the effort and the application you put in. Yeah, listen, I don't I don't see many players tossing off the trainer. I don't think no. I've seen it. Nah, very few times. Very, very few do, times. Think it's maybe more common in bigger players because it's like, well, I'm I'm Gaza, but I'm not saying Gaza done this, but I'm Gaza, I'm Loudrop, I'm Aguero, I'm whoever. I don't have to train as hard given the fact that go and, watch, go and watch top players train me. Class. <laughs> Intensity. Do you know what I would say is, see, see, oh, years ago, I think it was Lafferty's first spell in charge of Rangers, because you hear the thing about Lafferty being a poor trainer, right? I don't know if that's true, I've never seen the guy train. What I have seen is, he knew somebody who who, who I knew, and we used to play five-a-sides every Wednesday night, and Lafferty actually asked if he came down and stand and watch at the five-a-sides, right? So we were like, I need Bora, on you come, Rangers player, whatever, it was great. Um, you've seen everybody at five sides raise their energy levels when Lafferty was standing watching, right? Mm-hmm. I think it was a pro there watching. Um, and then he came to us the last 15, 20 minutes and he said, can I play? And we were like, can I anymore? So we like, right, lads, you need to watch your day. And he's obviously, this is the guy's livelihood, you can't be flying in. And I'm like, what team you support, respect the fact he's a professional, he's here having a kickabout with us. And what I would say is the intensity, the pace, even in a five-a-side park, was frightening, by the way. How quick he zipped the ball! He passed the ball to me, and it was like he it was like he was, it was like he was hitting a shot at you. Do you know what I mean? You're like, Jesus Christ! Do you think that they train like that every day? It's it's just it blows my mind. You know? Yeah, no. Listen, the, the, I always felt the lower level of play that the mere charlatans were there. Aye. That kidded on they were training, <clears throat> but at that, at that elite level, nah, these boys are on it every day. How would you deal with that as a manager, though? If you've seen somebody who maybe wasn't he, wasn't he getting a hundred percent in training? How would I deal with it now? Aye. I wouldn't assign boys that had that characteristic. So if if they did get under the radar, or they got through the, they, they tricked me into signing them, and then they then started showing that, I would remove them straight away. That's interesting. So, straight away. Um, because you, you've got to because how can you be talking about a collective if somebody wants to do them you know do their own thing yeah. I saw that thing that, uh, about Wallace Smith talking about you've got to put yourself second and I think that's a great way I think just put yourself second and put yourself first and be that big ego be the good guy that wants to do extra right. and I just I just I just look for boys that just love playing football forget if it's a tactical session just love being out on the grass uh, that's infectious, eh? That's for free. Uh, and you hear, you hear it something, certainly, I think it was people talking about uh, Beckham and saying that Beckham training was the last one off the pitch because he was always, once training was done, he was mm. practicing the free kicks, he was practicing hitting shots. And then you look at what the guy achieved and he's known for hitting free kicks and, and taking shots and getting the top top bin all the time. And You know, it is that thing of practice makes, makes perfect. It's the same as every walk of life, isn't it? And if you're dedicated to your profession and want to become better, as you say, you're putting yourself second anyway because you're, you're, you're trying to help the team, you're trying to improve yourself then secondary. So 
it is a, it is an important statement. But I think it's a side that us fans don't see, obviously, on the training ground, because you'll have heard that a million times as well. What's he doing playing? He's useless. He's murder. He never performs for us. You don't Aye, see that. You know, do you know what you're doing? You're evaluating the time he's on the ball. Aye. So you think about it. If you're a if you're a Barry Ferguson and a Rangers team that's winning for nothing at Ibrox, Barry's probably only on the ball for about a minute, minute twenty tops for the heel game. Uh, heel game. Right? So what if you're no that Barry Ferguson? What if you're then a Dundee midfielder who's playing against Rangers that day? You're on the ball for 20 seconds. Uh, the rest is running, fighting, heeding, matching runners. Are you in shape when you go to press, or did you hang back off that shape? Are you in, are you in sync with the press? All these different things that the average punter or no catch, you get evaluated only on the ball. And this is where managers see boys that, oh, he's great. You know, we had we had Alan Campbell and David Turnbull, both brilliant football players, both polar opposite football players, right? But everybody spoke about David Turnbull. But the staff, we knew Alan Campbell was a star. Yeah. We just know as maybe know as silky taking on the back foot. Still very good, by the way. He's playing a great career down in England. Brilliant on him. And David Tumble's a you know, special talent as well. Um, so I can see this is that the fan always gets attracted to the, the glamour, the nice player, rather than the, the robot and the yeah, yeah the more kind of industrial type. Yeah. See, as a player then, I'm just saying that, right, and fans shout things, because let's face it, he's played at Ibrox, and uh, I'm included in that, I'm part of the season ticket holder at Ibrox, we're not the most patient fan base in the world. If Rangers are only up within 10 minutes, there's usually moans and groans, as crazy as that sounds. If it's if you get beat or a draw at half-time, there's sometimes boon, which is mental when you think about it, right, and I don't partake in that, because I think that's a bit mental, but... How do you cope with fans shouting? If a, if a fan says something, you've got to get a ball for a throw in or something like that. How do, have you experienced that and how did you, how did you cope with it? First and, first and foremost, the, the fans are that far away from the pitch. You didn't really pick out certain like individual shouts because it's, it's like a collective noise. Yeah. Um, and you know, then you train your body, you don't get too close to the fans because then you hear it. <laughs> <laughs> what did Bob do going to get it? Because <laughs> yeah. I was getting it. You know, Barry Ferguson wasn't getting it. I was getting it. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, no, nah, but listen, that's that's what you're paid to do. That's what you're... Because you know what? Very, very rarely have I ever had somebody, when I'm walking to my car, say something bad to you. Because mm. it's easy to shout for 50,000, you know. Uh, and then you meet them in the street and they're, they're lovely. So... There's a bit of that event frustration because if I had a hard week at work, you know, wife's probably nothing up for going to the game and spending £500 a European trip. So I get all that in it and it's fine, but it doesn't help. <laughs> no, no. How does it affect, does it affect you at all as a manager? Do you hear it at all or are you just focused on the game now? There's me. Well, the, the level, you know, I'm, I'm, I find myself at the moment, you hear every shout because there's only 300 people there. Yeah. It's actually worse. <laughs> it's worse so you've got boys shouting at me last year like that's 70 minutes get a sub on and I turn and look at my bench and go if I put a sub on my, my, my living's weak weaker I've not got a strong bench so every time I make a sub it's weaker Aye. so I, I don't want to put subs on <laughs> you know what I mean I'm, I'm a, what, playing at Ibrox I turn and I've got I've got you know 
Brian Jack coming on, or Stevie Davis, you know, <laughs> then then I'll meet a sub neighbour. No, it's it's just it's just totally different. But you know what? See, at the end of the day, you get twenty players, twenty balls, twenty bibs. No matter what level you're playing, you're trying to make them better. Yeah, yeah. I I, I coach sevens and eights, right, for lap called Thistle, me and my mate. Mm. Um, I find that professionally in, in my job, I'm a, I'm a lecturer, I'm a joint at the trade, but I, I'm a lecturer, right? And I find two of them are, are, you find yourself doing the same thing in both jobs, right? Because people might say, for a joiner's point of view, people might say, like, going and hanging a door, I look back at it and go, I hung that door, that was great, right? But see, coaching a boy to go and hang that door and make maybe no just as good a job as it, but working towards that level, I get more satisfaction out of that than what I did in it myself, right? Right, so, so here you go. Right. Here you go. Right, you're talking about hanging a door, right. right? So, hanging a door, in terms of execution, is putting in two, two nails, two nails, bum, door up, sizing it thinking about how to do it. You know, all these different thoughts go into you hanging that door before you even touch the, the, the way. Uh, this is what I'm trying to say to you. That's the execution part. When you go, uh, that's you done. That's that door hung. But how much preparation, how much uh, proactive thoughts did you need to do? You have to size the double fighting. You've got it being cued. What size of nails? All these different things. Of course, you can go into more detail than me, but <laughs> that's the basis of it was uh, you need proactive thoughts before it, before you executed it. Yeah, yeah. Do, do you get made a kick out of though? Or do you disagree with that? No, 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 I, I totally agree with that. I totally agree with that. Because going to a different side, and I suppose it mirrors you as a manager as well, but as in the lecturing side of things, I have to then think about 20 doors for 20 different shoots, right, for what they're doing. So there's more mm. preparation work goes into that, there's more hard mm. work going into that, what there is me preparing one for me. So, for instance, you thinking about your own game before you go to Saturday, but now you've got to think about 11 and then the sub bench as well and, and the plan for the, the team. Um, so, again, it mirrors it. And, and coaching the, the, the young kids now, when you see them, they sort of, you know, when you first get them and the, the ball comes to them, they just kick it the way they're facing, right? But see, actually, when you've been coaching it for maybe six, seven, eight weeks, sometimes longer, and that 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 boy or that lassie takes the ball in, stops it, and then passes to somebody. It might only be a three-yard pass. But at that level, the sort of pride I get out of that, going, hold on, six weeks ago, he was just lumping that the way he was facing it. Now he's he stopped it, he's passed it, and there's a move on now. You know, even at five, six aside, it's totally a world away from where you are. But the thinking's still the same. How much pride do you do you get out of that, though? Because, like, for instance, for yourself, you know, the preparation work you're putting in for cow and beef, you know, going out the Lowland League now and all the recruitment that you've just said that you've been doing to try and mould that in what six weeks, seven weeks of pre season to then go out because I take it you'll be expected to win that division. No, 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 no. But so you, you say six, seven weeks, right? I've had eight sessions with my players, and of the eight sessions, half of them were trialists. So I've only actually had my squad that's going to be for the year for four sessions so take warm-ups out of that the four sessions and the games that are just letting players go and play actual coaching detail you're only getting that's maximum two hours maximum it's mental isn't it that is just yeah. not but everybody goes i've got six weeks to prepare it well have you 
No. I don't think six weeks is enough. Full six weeks, never mind. Yeah. And that's the players having them for nine to five at Rangers. Aye. So it's it's chalk and cheese. It is mental. See, when you went from being a manager to, you mentioned Motherwell, you were obviously in at Motherwell as a coach. Mm. How did you find that? Was that hard for you because you were the man with the final say and, and it was, nah. you know what I mean, your decisions to go and then part as a collective coaching team? I don't know. I don't know. Look at the I'm, I, I lived in Norway for eight years where it's a socialist state where there's no hierarchy anyway. So I, I, didn't, I didn't need to be called Garfield. I mean, call me what you want. Call me Morris if you want. I, I didn't, I'm not that old school type. Um, but when I went into the 23s at Motherwell, after about six months, I was with the first team anyway. Uh-huh. So, and the way Stevie Robinson had the had his environment was it was very much uh, all inclusive, and it was uh, basically a free for all. So he ended up giving me much um, responsibility with the first team training, um, probably more than you know than that I thought I would get to be honest. But he trusted me, and that was it. Trust your staff. If you've got good staff, trust them. Yeah. No, and, and and it's about delegation. It's about keep just again. He was quite strict with the, how the line went. You know, know your role. Coaches coach, managers manage, players play. When anyone tries to step in onto the other turf, there's problems. So that was his kind of mantra. I quite like that. Um, enough Nick that. So, cheers, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> He's always saying it's Monday. Was there never a chance of getting the call to go there? We have or were you quite set in what you were wanting to do? Because were you at County Beef for the time he went? Um, he went to Morecambe first, um, yeah. yeah. And obviously, I had that kind of issue last year with, with, with what happened at Notch County, Aye. unfortunate. Um, so I've kind of been, yeah, in purgatory, if you for, for want of a better word. Um, and County Beath took me in, and I've got that debt to pay to them, so yeah, that's what I'm doing. So, yeah, listen. Robo and Demo are working away at St. Man and you know he's a good coach, good good manager, so I'm sure they'll be all right. Uh, as a manager, do you prefer I don't know if you've ever worked under this um structure before, but do you prefer to have like a director of football above you? Or obviously lower down you go there's no budget for that, but would you like that sort of environment where you have a director of football? Because you always hear about an assistant manager being a buffer between the players and the manager, if you like, maybe old school, that, that way of thinking. What's the buffer between a manager and the board? Sometimes technical director, sometimes sport director, sometimes director of football. What's your kind of ideal approach as a manager? What would you like to have if you could pick? In terms of the stress about recruitment and whatnot, I would like a sports director. Um, And on that note, I would like to be employed by the sports director. Yeah. Me being in the building and a sports director coming above me might have different ideas, and then it could be you know, think about it. People call it a buffer to the board. I look at that as a that's a potential stumbling block, that's potential hindrance because yeah. my message might be getting relayed by the buffer in a different way that I would relay it. Yeah, so you yeah. need that, you need to have a kind of good open dialogue with, with, with your sports director. And I trust that you know that we're doing things right, um, because I think as a manager, managing doing is easy. Managing up is the issue. Mm-hmm. Aye. Well, you, you think Walter and his time in charge of Rangers was? I would take it would be the man who would control a lot of you know in terms of the, the, the football side certainly. 
But in terms of that kind of business idea, like of you know recruitment, etc., he would be the one that would probably went to, to David Murray, etc., on the board and said, "This is where we need to strengthen. Here's a list of players that I think we would like to get if we could get." David Murray was obviously the man who paid the money and went and got them. But you know, would you do you prefer that old school approach saying that you have that say and you have that? That kind of a chance to relay that as opposed to the board rather than someone doing it on your behalf? At the end of the day, so it is, it'll vary if you club to club, but what you're looking at clubs now having is if a sports director has been employed by the, by the owner or chairman, the manager is, you know, can, he's an asset, but he can be let go. So does that football club lose its whole? previous four years work or does it just continue and this is where I think having a sports director is good if it's done right that there's a continuation there's a, there's a contingency plan I'm pretty sure Ross Wilson will have Gio replaced already yeah. no because of how he's performed because he, he's going to do great and stay on however what he's going to say what if Gio gets the Arsenal call next week Yeah. what are we doing then what is your recruitment strategy like then so there's what I think is value of value yeah. it's just okay new manager in. the new manager will fit the, the profile that we've got as a manager just the same way you'll have a profile as a fullback or a nine seven whatever and yeah I think that's where it's of value what then I think it become a wee bit is what's the ego like of your sports director yeah. does your sport director think he's got to want to put a pair of copers on and come and coach problems Stay in your lane. Sports directors be sports directors, managers manage, coaches coach. When the one want to step into the other, problems. So I know for a fact Ross Wilson does not want to be the manager of Rangers. Of course not. Right? And when you meet Ross Wilson, the most pleasant man you could find. Brilliant. Switched on. Works his tail off, by the way. And uh, I think it's been a good appointment thus far. Yeah, and right now, if you look at social media, as I'm sure you do, you find a lot of Rangers supporters who don't think he's doing a great job because we've not signed him yet. So that brings my next question. When you're, obviously, it's not happened at County Beef because you've had to react to what's happened last year and you've you've managed to clear a lot out and and bring in new guys. When you are in a coaching team or a manager and you're you're out right, what happened? if, If you're getting further on in a transfer window and you've no recruited anybody how frustrated do you get how because you're the guy that's going to take the flak on a saturday if you don't get the result right but you might have wanted you know for instance go back to mark warburton mark warburton at rangers might have wanted to sign x y and z right mm. that would have definitely improved rangers but it wasn't allowed to do so say for top sake so Mark Robertson carries the carry how the players perform and how the team how the results the team gets Ultimately, whether it was a messy exit or whatever happened, happened, we'll never really know the truth, I don't think. But he then pays the price for that and loses his job. Hmm. How frustrating is that for a manager when you've identified targets, you can't get the targets, you can't get the players in, and obviously you're kind of hung out to dry in a certain in certain scenarios some, somehow. It's just it's, it's the industry we're in. You know, every, every player I'm going for, I'm going to try and get the best in that position for what I can afford. Doesn't want to come. Okay, what's the next best option? Yeah. What's the next best option? And sometimes you get that and you nail that one. Um, and sometimes you don't. You need that and take the, the second best in that position. That's how it is. However, at Cobbley Rangers, I'm pretty sure they've got four, five viable options for every single position. 
that they're yeah. actually commenting. Then it's down to character references. Then it's down to does the man does he see the picture that the manager's hoping to get? Does his agent want seventy grand out of that up front, or he's no coming? Oh, bump, we're not doing that. Next one. So it's all these different permutations. But you know what? Ross, Wilson and Rangers, no signing anybody right now, tells me that their, their filtration system or the, 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 the criteria they're looking for is that fine. Uh, that there's only going to be maybe three or four at that level. Uh, you know what I mean? So it could also be, over quantity, it could also be that they need to go and pay the bank six million next week. Bank, there's a rebo's money in the door right now, we can move. Uh, it's not just uh, as simple as go to Waitrose or Morrison's or whatever you're going to and just picking up a, a bit of beef. Uh, Football players that have maybe got contracts or maybe got payoffs. To, there's so many different things, especially at that level that Rangers are dealing with. And by the way, Settlek are looking at them. Everton are looking at them. Sheffield Wednesday are looking at them. I actually looking at them. So it's not just that we are the only people in the shop. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we all, we all love Rangers and we think Rangers is the best now. Not everybody thinks like that. So maybe somebody's dream to play for Ajax instead of Rangers. Uh, Werder uh, Bremen instead of Rangers. See the players in the Bundesliga. Bundesliga players <laughs> 60 grand a week, 70 grand a week, 100 grand a week. And by the way, that's not even at the top level. That's by, I'm, not, I'm not even talking about Bayerns and Dortmunds. I'm yeah. talking about the mid-table teams. Uh, so, as much as we think playing for Rangers is awesome, yeah, of course it is. But they're going to Werder Bremen in the middle middle of the table German team and they're getting 80 grand a week and but Rangers only off in 40. Where are you going? If you're a European if you're European, are you cool? Aye. Aye. You're going to wear the Bremen because that secures your family for another two years or whatever. Aye. Aye. So it's not just as, as, as black and white as what we tend to kind of think. So getting to Europe County Reef <clears throat> obviously last year with this point you hear many different factors getting relegated to the, the Lowland League. See when you started you said how many players you had, you've you've got a chance to clear out so many. How do you go about that at that level for, for years? How did you go about it this year and saying, right, I'm going to identify how many players did you identify as a net, if you like, throwing a net out? How do you identify them? Who, who helps you do that? Who's who have you go do you have your trusted people to do that? Or is there people at the club already? Well, you go to the you go to your phone book and you see, okay, who can help me? Um people at St. Mirren helped me, um, which is great. Um, you go to the exit trials where all the teams that have released players put that exit trial on that was helpful um, my assistant manager Colin Jack who's been at youth level all his life so he knows that kind of age group for the last four years the guys that are now 17, 18 oh, he's a good player there was that um, also um, we've got a team coordinator this year uh, Colin who has been phenomenal because what I don't want to do is I don't want to get into phoning young boys, you know, 17, 18 year old, and they're humming and hawing. I can't be bothered with that. So I get calling to suss them out, what they think and what they're feeling. Would it be something that we can consider? Then when we get to that point, I never speak about money until the very, very end. I need them to know that they're coming into my football club to get better. When they sign up to want to become a better footballer, now I start wanting to sign them. If the first question is, ah, but I'm getting off of 200 at four, so we're going there. It's fine for you, son. 200 quid doesn't change you. However, you getting coached properly and, and, and developing as a football player might change your life. Mm-hmm. So um, this is the approach that we have. Um, 
right or wrongly. How many how many nights do you train at, at Cowan Beath? What's the setup like? So what we the, t- the typical setup at League Two level um, is train twice a week, which is a Monday, Wednesday, or a Tuesday, Thursday. So again, stripping it back to when I went to Solar, I said, what did I do day one at Solar? Bang, train four nights a week. So now I've got a, a young group, a 19, 20-year-olds, that when I say train Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, they go, yes. Well, you do that with an agent squad. Yeah, but we've always only had two. But God, I've got my wings. No, it doesn't work. Now, that's no complaint of the guys that are 36. It's just what they've always done. 19-year-olds, 17, 18-year-olds have not got an opinion on it because they don't know what... Yeah, so what I've done is, okay, what can we make this club better on? Can we pay high salaries? No. Do we have better training facilities this year? Yes, we do. Uh, No. Have we been weighing players to check that they're they're in uh, good condition? No. Okay, we're weighing players for number one. Um, We're training four nights a week. So we, we can't afford to train four nights a week by, by the club paying for a facility. So we train Tuesday, Thursday with that. But on a Monday, I've got my players doing eight kilometres of some type of run. It might be speed endurance. It might be fat leg. It might be four four-minute runs. Whatever it is. Same on a Wednesday. So when the players turn up at me, I didn't need to hear them running on a pitch. Mm-hmm. Because that's, that's, the, that's the quality time. That's the time that I want to help them. So it's football, it's tactical, it's understanding, it's technical. So all that stuff. So the players then, when they come to train, and they enjoy it. Uh, yes, they need to go and put the, the Wednesday and the, and the Monday in. But do you want to do this or not? Now, I had these questions before I signed the players. So they knew that's what they were coming into. Mm-hmm. Another thing, like you see, you see players at that level, they get running after the game. Even at Premier League level, you see players running after the game. I wouldn't have it. A, they're annoyed that they're not played. B, it's like a segregation within the group. They're out running there and there. It, it doesn't work. So what I would have is, okay, if you if I see a typical fullback at Premier League in Scotland is doing 11, between 11 and 12k a game. So I'm not going to run you as a right fullback on that pitch after the game. I say, but I need, that. I need the 12k this week. I need that done this week for you to now be at the same level. Because if, if that guy's playing ahead of you right now because he's a better player than you, if you're then less fit than him, you've no chance. Aye. So it's about then just monitoring that. And this is what I'm doing at Cowden B. So when next season, when the season starts, and I'm not training four nights a week, it'll be three. So if you've not played on a Saturday, you'll be training, you'll be giving me eight to between eight and 11K, depending on the type of running I'm doing on a Monday. Then you join the team on a Tuesday. Now we're at a level again. Aye. So it's controlling what's controllable, and this is kind of how I need, how I operate. So it's actually interesting and fascinating here, that because you do see it, you know, you see interviews of managers are out in the park or out the track, and there's players in their warm doing or doing their running. There is nobody involved, whatever it might be, mm. and you do find that kind of. I always think to myself, maybe there is a divide there because, as you say, people, managers and players, they fall out of favour and they fall out each other, and players don't play, and or somebody's not trained well this week, and somebody else is in a header, whatever it might be. For yourself, I know you come across as a very kind of modern, younger coach, obviously, that's that's more, you know, you hear this thing of, he takes the training and I manage the team, I'm the manager, and there's a distance between me and my players and this. You seem to be the man who's right in there, hands-on, wants to be involved in it, which I think's the best. Well, personally, I like to see that as a, as a fan, never mind, you know, anything else. Mm. In terms of the dressing room, 
off the training park, how hands-on are you in there? Or is it more like to let the players run their own dressing room and, yeah. and you kind of take that step back? Yeah, so I came into Cowboys last year. The dressing was already set in stone. Big characters. Older players. This year, it's young, hungry boys. So what I've done is I've chose McCartan and Jordy Armstrong, and I've told him he runs the dressing room. If he finds, etc., etc. Day-to-day stuff. If they're a minute late or whatever, it's the fiver in the kitty, you know, goes to their Christmas night or whatever. I don't want involved in that. I don't want involved in that day to day. And do you know what? The players have signed. I don't think there'll be, I don't think there'll be anything in the fight. The fine kitty for that. <laughs> on it. Do you uh, front up for that then? Do you stump up for that? <laughs> no. Um, so no, I, I just think that if you go with a suspicious mind, you'll always find something. Just let them be. Trust them. Trust the players, man. Come out in the training pitch, now you listen. Now I'm on, on you. And and that's the kind of approach I want them to come in and enjoy coming in. I want them to be relaxed. And if, if there's a cure on it, Emmy, you're going to find somebody for being late. Why? He's out of his control. Now, if there's a pattern that he's been late on the Emmy, different story. Yeah. So it's about, it's about just being decent. Eh? I think it's just about being a decent person and Look at the circumstance rather than just right. This, this is how it is. What if his uh, missus was ill or she's got COVID or the Wayne's second? God, you'll be open to all these things. Eh? That's something that can happen to yourself, isn't it? Never mind. Yeah, players, exactly. you know I mean? So you've, exactly. got, to, you've got to expect that. Um, exactly. Coming to kind of the last part of the last part of the podcast now, kind of last couple of questions. But what is Morris Ross's? Again, I don't want to use the word philosophy, right? Because I hate that. Because I always feel as though you should be adapting anyway to whatever club you're at. As you say, depends what squad of players you're working with. You said that at the start. But what is your ideal way of playing? What, you were a fullback yourself. Do you like the fullbacks? How are you going to attack and join them with the attack? Has, is there a way that you play that you go, that's how... If somebody's seen a team go, that's a more cross team. Right, so, so, so say that, that, that's, that I would say like a, a blanket phrase you just did. Do you like your fullbacks being high and all? I would be saying the way I would coach that is there's a time when he needs to be high. There's yeah. a time when he needs to be low. There's a time because the body language of the guy on the ball might be facing the left side of the pitch. So how can you go and be high? What if the guy in the ball gives it away all the time? What if the pitch is bumpy? What if he's not that great on the ball? And what happens is you go high because you've been programmed to go high. Well, no. The circumstances, he's not received the ball yet. You can't be ahead of him. You need to be level with him. So when he does turn it, then you can detach to be a high fullback. But then again, I've got somebody filling that hole with it, like the opposite centre midfielder dropping into that kind of false fullback, the, the thing they use all the time. Mm-hmm. But these are all circumstances, all based on the body language of the guy in the ball. So if he takes his touch back in and you detach, you're out of position. What if he loses that? Boom. The man is saying, what are you doing 40 yards away? Mm-hmm. So my thing would always be, you've got to be thinking circumstantially. Mm-hmm. But it's giving them these scenarios every day that they can start right. to see what's happening. I, I was going to say, how hard is that to get that across the training part, though? That even you, you said there, you need to set it up. If you didn't do it, who's going to do it? Aye, aye. And this is this is something that I, I hear in Scotland a lot. I mean, you can't do that. You can't do it. How no? How no? How no? Mm-hmm. You've only got them two days a week. You need to train them differently then. Make them train on a Monday and a Wednesday. So when you get them, you didn't need to get them fitness training running about. Boring. Mm-hmm. 
So if we can't change that, guys like me in my position, if I can't change that, who can? I think it has to change, by the way. But you're saying there, but then the, you know, because you certainly watching Rangers going through the lower leagues, you found a lot of good, honest players who were there for the right reasons, who did want to play football. Maybe the ability wasn't taking them any higher, but did want to play football. But I suppose if they players could have could have came on better, as, as you're saying, there's two nights a week or two days a week where they're doing their running and they're doing their whatever they need today for you, and then the two days that you get them, you're focusing on tactics, ball work, shape, whatever it might be. Mm. You know, to change that approach, I think benefits Scotland as a whole, as a country, because we're hopefully going to produce technically better football players. You look at the young guys you're bringing in, they're practically going in a, a professional kind of way of training and way of thinking. So when they come around, hopefully you develop them and they're moving up the leagues and, and, and hopefully they all do that. Mm. They're already going to be programmed in that way, you know, because you've you've done that. Obviously, there'll be slight tweaks with different managers, but that's that's surely a good thing. I think so, Paul. Again, I, I say it in a man training you like I would train Motherwell first team. Whether you guys hit that level is a different story, but I'm, my responsibility is to bring you the best education you can get. Whether you take that on board, that's you as a player, that's you as an individual, but I'm not going to change my standards for anybody. Mm-hmm. Now, there's last night. I've said, right, lads, new regime now, we're, we're, going to, we're going to weigh you every Tuesday. And the natural reaction is, oh, oh I need to take my stuff <laughs> off, all that stuff. And I said, right, meeting everybody in for the, I need to speak to you about the weight. Automatically, players come in nervous. So I've written down all their weights, their names, circled them and put an arrow diagonally up on the ones that have been circled. And I'm saying to these players, now typically a weight meeting is about players that are overweight. Mm-hmm. But I'm the opposite on this. I'm not saying I'm any great here. I'm just saying that Lucas Berry, for instance, played at Edinburgh City last year. Fantastic football player. But he's 67 kilos. So I was black and white last night. I said, Lucas, I said, you're a great football player. I, we didn't need in here doubt, son. I said, but you're 68 kilos, son. I said, if I'm the Dundee manager coming to see you in a year's time, and I walk out of that stadium and I see Lucas Berry uh, warming up, and I see you looking like this, I'm not signing you, son, no matter how good you are. I turn up when you're 75 kilos. Now you look like, oh, I just need to put another two, three kilos on this boy. He, then he's a player, by the way. I can maybe sell him. So what I'm trying to say to him is, this is me weighing you is not to be a negative thing. It's me to say, you've got your own development, which is eating properly. You're, ca- you're in calorie deficit every day, son. Because they think running and training and eating a pasta, they're great. You need to be eating five, six times a day if you're going to put on muscle mass. So again, I now have an indication, does Lucas Berry want this? Because in three months' time, if he's not put on at least two kilos, I know he's not giving me or giving himself the best chance of being a professional football player. Now, again, whether he does or no, that's no on me. I'm providing the environment to give him the best possible chance of that. He's got to go and own that. Right. So, so it's about giving him responsibility, but also helping him along the way. So, you know, that's so interesting because that will happen at every club. Well, it should happen at every club. Um, so it's really, really interesting that the fans actually get that insight because we don't, we don't, we don't see that. Player. How many times have you seen it? He's too lightweight. He's too lightweight. You hear it all the time. He's too. He's too lightweight. He's a great player. But he's too lightweight. You know. And then, for instance, the boy um, is it Zakowski that Rangers signed right back, Polish boy signed I think last year, um, halfway through the season as backup to Tav. 
and there's a picture of him playing against Aloha, I think it was in the Scottish Cup last year, and you wouldn't go out and say, oh, that boy's lightweight, whatever. So you see a picture of the day in, in training in pre-season. The boy's a machine, man. The boy's an absolute machine. Looking at him, it's frightening. Do you know what I mean? But until you see the two pictures, you go, there's what Rangers day as well. You know, Rangers are obviously saying, right, this is what you need to be at. And that, that could be why a player's no playing. They know that they're not a good fit with player. 100%. 100%. So, like I said, it may be pie in the sky because everybody says, ah, it's just low and level. That's the problem because you're still thinking like low and level. I'm no, I'm still thinking Premier League level. So I still coach him like I was coaching David Turnbull and then Alan Campbell. Yeah. Last question. What is the, the hopes then and ambitions for this season, A, Count Beef this season, and B, for you as a, as a manager and coach? What, what level, where do you want to get to this year with Count Beef? And then, where do you want to get to personally and a professional level? I would, I would just like to, to basically, my job this year is to realign the, the football club. The whole, the, the, the recruitment's changed. The level of contracts have changed. So again, we we are no signing boys on one year deals. It's eighteen month and two year deals we're doing to give the club a wee bit of security, so we don't need to sign seventeen again. Mm-hmm. So people kind of nicker players if they're any decent, because I'm thinking there's three or four in this group. Ooh, quite tasty players. Might move uh, on to better things, I hope. Um, so for me, this is like a cult consolidation year. The whole club, whole thing. Um, when I came into the club, I'm like, why do we no train in Cowdenbeath? There's an AstroTurf with a pavilion at Longfinnens. Why are we no training here? It should be our base. Cowdenbeath badge on the side of it makes it feel like a training ground instead of going and no, we're very grateful that Wraith Rovers would let us train on, on their pitch, but why are we going to Kirkcaldy to train on somebody else's pitch when we've got one here? Why is this not being considered three, four, five years ago? So it's wee things like that, but all these wee tiny things, if you move in the right direction slowly, the club should be in a better place um, in a year's, two years' time. But if you didn't put these things in place, you'll never get there. You'll be chasing your tail, chasing your tail, because... There's businessmen pumping money into Spartans, East Kilbride. We can go that. So we just need to re- readjust what we think ourselves as a football club because you can't be a championship f- football club with the facilities and the way we are and the finance we have because we didn't have the big, big hitters to pay the money in. So we need to adjust it. Young, hungry place, that young lads that follow academies can come and, and get coached and be in a, in a good environment. Whether you win or no on the back of that, that's a different story. Mm-hmm. That's how I see it. Um, moving forward for me, yeah, listen, I've got to be up in the Premier League again. So I need to just bide my time. Um, and I'm not talking about being a manager. But coaching staff, Premier League level, yeah, that's absolute where I've got to be. Um, so time will tell. I'm sure you'll make it. I'm sure that um, Crown Beef as well will, will benefit from having yourself there because just talking to you, I can imagine a young player going in there and speaking to you and you selling that story, as you called it. Um, they would want to play for you. Um, certainly, if I was a football player and was any good, I would want to play, I think, for yourself because you want, to, you, want to, you, you want to treat them professionally, you want to treat them the right way and in return, they've got to give you a wee bit back and I think if you get a wee bit of responsibility like that, then I like to think that your professionalism, you would you would give that back to your, 
to your manager. You, you see that, you see, like, you, you've, you've interpreted that, which is fine, that, uh, that I want something back from them. I want them to just give themselves the best chance. Aye. Aye. You know, I'm only giving them the, the, the framework and, and the ideas and that to make themselves better. It'll not make me better. Aye. It's like I want them to give themselves the best chance. And if they give themselves the best chance, my football club will get better. So it's, it's inadvertently coming back to the football club. But right. they've got you own that ownership and that responsibility. I'm just giving them the tools and the environment which is there. Right. Um, so yeah, no, nah, it's it's interesting. It's listen, it's no science or everybody uh, exact science or everybody would just buy into it. But it's the way I want to do it, and it's the way I think the football club can financially viable kind of model that we that we can adhere to. I think that's the, the best way to kind of sum it up. I think I'd like to, to keep a wee eye on, on Cowing Beef this season and, and the results and, and how they're getting on, etc. I also think I'd like to go up to a couple of games because it's interesting, you know, when it's something that, that you've spoken about, like, you know, the process behind it, like we've spoken about. Um, I'd like I think, to come up and watch it as well myself because it's it's I find all that interesting. One thing I did find about going through the lower leagues is the different clubs, you know, and us playing them and the, the different you know, way they set up to us and... and Oh, the Rangers are here, so it's you know some people go into their shell and stuff like that. I like the clubs who weren't they, who were plucky, who, who wanted to have a go at us, and mm. obviously yourself, you would, you would like to think your team would want to have a go at bigger teams. And you know whatever, whatever happens in your division and also going forward, if you take them up the leagues, etc. So, thanks very much for your time today. It's been a pleasure talking to you. First met you at the, the Europa League final night. We had, um, I, I think we were all disappointed when we left. But I think yourself, you could see just how down. You were that night was, you know, a, a reflection in us all. But thanks very much, mate. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope. Um, yeah, good. the questions will be good as well. So thanks for doing your, your homework there. Good, no problem, no problem. Thanks, mate. And also on behalf of your, you know, listeners and Rangers supporters, thanks for your efforts and a Rangers jersey as well. Much appreciated. Never forget the goal against Motherwell in the cup final. That was a, a standout goal, man. It was a, a, an excellent. It's long ago. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't know if you meant it, but it was an excellent finish. Thanks very much. When I was a young boy, my father said to me, "Put this scarf around your neck and sing the blues with me." Now I am much older There's a place I want to be It's red faucet, it's beautiful It's steeped in history And I know what I'll find When the place comes alive I got that battle fever Coming over me And I got Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. 
juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 